1: In April of 1922, in a small corner of the Bronx in New York, there were curious questions about what might have happened to Miss Jenny Becker, a hardworking, stay at home mother of four who fiercely loved her children. On April 6, she and her husband, Abraham Becker, had attended a party together. On April 7th, Abraham was telling friends and family that Jenny had left with another man. She left her husband, kids, and life for a mystery man. She would never be seen alive again. Was this a love triangle gone wrong? Or is there something more sinister about? Let's go over the case. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forgotten True Crime by Oki Investigations, the true crime podcast where we tell stories of crimes that happened long ago. If you're a true crime fan, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way, when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Also, check us out on our YouTube and Facebook pages, Forgotten True Crime. Visit our blog, truecrime.blog That's where we post many of the cool things that we found for each episode This episode, 7 Feet Deep, has a lot of exciting stuff to dig into Make sure you go there and check it out The links are in the description below I will say on this episode, there's a lot of photos and everything So make sure uh, when the YouTube video comes out and everything Definitely check this one out Parts of the story may contain opinions and speculations and should be taken as such. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Today's story was one that I waited on telling for a while. I waited on this because I knew one day we would have to make a few purchases for documents and information that kind of goes along with this case. What we found is some really great stuff and amazing insight on what it really took to investigate this case in the 1920s. You have to remember that everyone that had anything to do with cases that are hundreds of years ago, like this one... There's no one alive anymore that had anything to do with this case. It's so it's, it's lovely to go through things like notes and documents that show the reasoning behind things. But let us start where this story begins, which is oddly enough, seven months after Jenny had left her husband, Abraham. Letters began showing up in the mailboxes all around town where Jenny Becker once lived. They were from her mother, who lived in England. Jenny's mother was worried because she had not heard from her daughter since April. It was not like her to drop all contact, and she feared that something might have happened to Jenny. By this time, the news of Jenny leaving Abraham was less of a shock than it was at first. Everyone knew that Abraham was a hard man to deal with, and if Jenny chose to fall in love and run away with someone else, then who's really to blame her? The one thing that always bothered one neighbor, Miss Rebecca Baldwin, was why on earth did Jenny leave her children behind? Abraham was not a caretaker. He was the type of man who always thought about himself. When it came to taking care of their four children alone, he had them committed to an asylum instead of taking care of them. Their children were placed in the Hebrew orphan asylum after Jenny had left. Now, the Hebrew orphan asylum sounds like an awful, awful place. I did some research and found that in the early 1900s, the Hebrew Orphan Asylum was always filled with thousands of children, and they had little to care for them all. Very few children were adopted here because they were children from one-parent homes. They weren't really up for adoption. Their mother or father couldn't care for them, so... They took them to the Hebrew Orphan Asylum and used it as a boarding school. Miss Rebecca Baldwin refused to accept that Jenny would leave her children with their father. She knew that Jenny's disappearance was not news to the police. Uh, Jenny's husband, Abraham, who everyone in town had actually called Abe, went to the police just days after Ginny left, and he reported her missing. And they all believed the story that she had left with another man. So Rebecca did something not a lot of people would do at the time. She named herself the detective on the case. Shortly after Ginny was reported missing, Rebecca began talking to friends and neighbors about what they knew Of the situation. She wrote down everyone's statements word for word. She asked how they came to know that Jenny had left Abe, and they all had the same answer. Well, Abe told them, but it was what he said to them that didn't make any sense. Some of the neighbors said Abe said to them that Jenny had left with another man during the April 6th party. Others stated that it was after the party that Abe said that she had left. Others who spoke to Abe on the morning of the 7th state that Abe claimed that, well, he got rid of his wife. Rebecca knew that Jenny was a devoted mother. There were times in the past when Abe would have mishandled the family's account or wasn't even there altogether, and they had no money for food. Jenny would go out and beg for food for their children so they didn't go hungry. It's just the kind of thing a loving mother would do. In the months after Jenny had disappeared, Abe then brought another woman into his house, Anna Elias, who was a beautiful 24-year-old woman, and he restarted a relationship with her. Yes, I said, restarted. You see, in 1920, Abe had left his wife, Jenny, for Anna. He and Anna were having a baby together, and he wanted to marry her. The only problem was that he was still married to Jenny. When the two couldn't wed, that is when Anna found out that the man that she had been spending all this time with, and was having a baby with, was a married man. He had never told her about Jenny or his four other children. Anna told Abe that there was no way she would live a life with a married man. If he was ever single, they might try again. Abe then returned to Jenny, who let him back into the home. Partly because she loved him and partly because they needed the income in the house to feed the children. Rebecca Baldwin wrote every little detail down. She marked the day that Anna started living with Abe, and she continued to wait for the day that she received just a little more evidence, and then she would go to the police. Rebecca looked for any signs of Ginny, where she supposedly went to go live with this unnamed mystery man. But Rebecca never found her. But it was when she received the letter from Jenny's mother, who so desperately wanted to hear from her daughter, that she decided to take what she knew to the police and hope that someone would listen. When Rebecca walked into the police station, officers treated her very skeptically. Although they reported Ginny's disappearance, they had largely forgotten about it. It wasn't until District Attorney Edward J. Glennon and Assistant District Attorney Albert Cohn had sat down with Rebecca that they started putting the pieces together. Rebecca was able to outline the entire timeline of events. She handed Edward the many different statements that Abe had given the neighbors, and she even included the names and addresses of everyone. She then told them about the state of the children, and that Abe had been living with Anna almost as soon as Jenny was out of the picture. Now, it did seem that, by this time, Anna and Abe had split up, because she had then moved back out of the home. At the behest of the district attorney, Edward Glennon, officers in the Bronx quickly moved in on Abe's home and arrested him. Several detectives then started moving in with copies of the names and addresses of the neighbors who gave statements to Rebecca. They wanted to back up her claims with that same evidence to make sure that everything she presented them was well on the up and up. Slowly but surely, they found that everything that Rebecca gave them was the truth. I can't state this enough. What Rebecca Baldwin did for this case was nothing short of amazing. The detectives on the case said that her work was better than most detectives.
0: visitparker.com/purpose parker engineering your success
1: with witness statements in hand district attorney edward glennon decided that it was time to confront abraham becker abe was a calm person he didn't let a lot get to him and it was this cool and calm demeanor that really made things difficult when interviewing him He flat out refused to acknowledge that anything might have happened to his wife. He told officers that she had left with another man, and that he really didn't know where she was at this moment. The district attorney pressed Abe for more information on his movements on April 7th, the day after the party. Abe thought about it for a moment and then began to tell them about that day. He stated that it started just like any of his other work days. He got up, got ready for work. Jenny was still there at home. He was a truck driver, and he started his work day at 7.45 in the morning. It wasn't until that afternoon that he discovered that Jenny had gone missing. He reported this disappearance to the police, but he then received a letter from her some days later stating that she had moved to Philadelphia. At this moment, District Attorney Edward Glennon began to suspect that Jenny might no longer be living. You see, Abe had just contradicted some of the witnesses. One witness, Harry Simonwitz, stated that he ran into Abe on the morning of the 7th. Abe was in a great mood and said, "Harry, congratulate me. I got rid of my wife." At the time, Harry thought it was just kind of a funny dark humor. He believed the story that Ginny left Abe, that was until the rumor started going around town. Abe denied any involvement in Ginny's disappearance. He wanted to disprove what others were saying about him, so he told the officers about his friend that he had seen on that day to just kind of back up his statement. He told the officers that they needed to speak to Ruben Norkin and that he would set them straight. On the night of Jenny's supposed disappearance, he told the officers that he was with Reuben although he couldn't give them a real answer as to why he was with them. Reuben had an auto shop and a dump. The officers asked if there was something wrong with Abe's car, and he told them no. But he did tell them that he brought his trash to Reuben's dump regularly. The district attorney felt as if he had enough to hold Abe on suspicion and they brought him in front of a judge who assigned a $10,000 bail. They then locked him up at the Bronx County Jail. The most interesting thing about this was that few guards patrolled the corridors of this part of the jail. So the inmates felt very comfortable speaking freely about their crimes and what they were accused of. When Abe was placed in his cell, he was pestered into telling the other inmates why he was there. Abe told them that they were looking for his wife. They asked what happened to her, and he shied away from saying anything until he heard others talk about their crimes. So Abe finally spoke up when asked again what happened to his wife. All he would say was, the police will never find her. I hid her away and they won't be able to find her. Abe then asked how he could get a message out of the jail. He needed to contact a friend, Ruben Norkin, and get a message to him. The inmates asked who he was, but Abe stopped talking when they didn't tell him how to contact his friend. The thing that Abe didn't realize was that every inmate around his cell were police officers. They went undercover, thinking that Abe would do something stupid and freely talk about his involvement in his wife's disappearance. They also had a stenographer in a cell next to him taking down his statement word for word. They now knew some major things here. They knew that Jenny is more than likely dead at this point. They also knew that Ruben Norkin was someone they needed to talk to, and they thought that the visit that he had on the night of Ginny's disappearance at Reuben's shop might be the key to the whole thing. Officers were dispatched to Reuben's shop. They brought him in for questioning without any resistance. Reuben was a lot like Abe, calm, cool, and collected. But when they got him into the station, Detective James McCartan thought that Reuben's demeanor was all an act. All day and all night, they questioned Reuben about what he knew about Jenny and Abe. At first, he acted indifferently. He would say things like, what do I care what happened to her? Or, if Abe killed her, what does that have to do with me? As the hours went by, Reuben Norkin slowly started saying more and more. He still denied having anything to do with Ginny's disappearance, but he let on that if they were looking for her, they should perhaps start digging in the dump around his shop. Right away, Detective James McCartan took Reuben to this shop, and then they walked out into the dump. Soon, several officers showed up as well, all with shovels in hand and ready to dig. The detective looked to Reuben and asked, "'Where do we dig?' Reuben then looked around and led them to a spot." They started digging, but it wasn't long before they stopped. They knew that this was not the right spot. The dirt was packed and had been clearly undisturbed for quite some time. The detective began to walk around the dump, and nearer still to the sidewalk and the building, he probed the ground with a stick to see how soft it was. When the stick went into the ground with a little trouble, the detective looked at Reuben. Before he could even ask if they should dig in this spot, he saw the look on Reuben's face. He was pale and looked horrified. They didn't need to ask him anything more. The officers began digging down. As time went on, more and more people gathered along the sidewalk to see what was happening. Newspapermen had been tipped off to the story and snapped many pictures as the officers dug deeper and deeper. Hours later, they had reached nearly seven feet into the earth and moved out several large rocks from the pit. It was then they found a badly decomposed body. Detective James McCartan believed that they had just found poor Jenny. They had gotten this far in this case thanks to one detective that refused to quit, Miss Rebecca Baldwin. Although she was not on the police's payroll, she was probably one of the best detectives in town. I wish we were all so lucky to have a friend like Rebecca in our lives. She refused to believe that her friend and neighbor would leave her family overnight unless something horrible happened to her. Rebecca stuck to her gut feelings and let the evidence lead her to the truth. Justice for Jenny was only happening ...because Rebecca stepped in. The main questions we have at this point are... The body they found... Was it Jenny's? And how could they prove it? How did Reuben Norkin know where the body was buried? The detectives still haven't interviewed Anna Elias. Did she have more to do with this than previously thought... Join us next time as we finish Seven Feet Deep, Part 2 of this story. You won't believe its outcome. If you guys haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way when we get new episodes, you will be the first to know. By subscribing, it tells the podcast networks that you want to listen to this and they will actually suggest it to other people we would greatly appreciate that help thank you all and we'll see you next time see ya